Thanks, Matt. All right, we got some more to do this morning, so uh, feel free to whip out your Bibles or pull out your phones, uh, turn or scroll or swipe or whatever you want to do to Philippians 3, verses 10 to 21. Philippians 3, verses 10 to 21. Verse 10. Oh, and so you can also follow along with me on the screen as well uh, if you don't have anything with you. So verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So is following Jesus easy or, or hard? Yes? <laughs> all right, you guys, I might not even need to preach. You might already have the answer to this. Well, let's start with saying it's, it's hard, right? I mean, um, do you guys ever feel like, like you're exhausted following Jesus? Yes? Okay. Maybe you feel like you're uh, just limping along right now. Maybe you feel kind of uh, beat up or, or injured or, or out of breath, and, and you feel like you're, you're struggling. Is, is that you this morning? Maybe you feel like you started in the, in the faith strong and, and you had a clear vision of who Jesus is and as you've kind of progressed in the faith, you feel like you've, you've lost sight. You feel like you've kind of lost sight of the prize. Or maybe you know exactly what Jesus is calling you to do and you've struggled to find the strength to do it. Right? You don't feel empowered to carry out what you know God is calling you to do. Do any of you guys feel stuck like that this morning? Yes? Okay. Well, if, if that's not you, I promise you that if you stick with this thing long enough, uh, <laughs> you got something uh, headed towards you, right? It's, it's, it's hard, you know. The Christian faith is, is hard. But the, if this is you, let me encourage you by saying that, that you might actually be on the right path this morning. You might actually uh, be where God intends you, intends for you to be. Let me explain. So in, in Matthew 7, Jesus tells his followers that there are two paths. He says the first one, it's, it's easy, right? The, the path is, is wide. It's, it's a 10-lane highway. It's nice and paved. There's reflectors and signposts, and there's lots of people on it. But Jesus says it heads towards destruction. But he says this, the second path 
It's hard. The, the path is narrow. It doesn't always have handrails. It doesn't always have signposts. You know, there's not that mile mark all the time. And sometimes it feels like you're kind of out in the, the wilderness, right? And there's, there's few people on this path. But Jesus says, this is the one that leads to life. Jesus is telling us in this parable that, that we can do one of two things, right? We, we can choose to drift with the world, right, with all of its temptations and, and pleasures and, and distractions, and, and we can be swept away with the world, or we can fight upstream, right? We can resist the world. We can go against the current. We can press on towards Jesus. Fighting against the current is hard, right? So again, if, if you feel like that this morning, I want to encourage you. You're probably in the right place. This is what Jesus is telling us when he says twice in the Gospel of Matthew, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he says it again in Luke, by your endurance you will gain your lives. So as we come to our uh, text this morning in in Philippians, Paul's taking Jesus' teaching and he kind of rebrands it, he repackages it using uh, the language of, of the Olympic Games. And you actually see Paul this a few times in, in the New Testament, but here he says, following Jesus is like a foot race. A, a foot race in, in uh, the ancient world was, was the most popular competition in the Olympic Games. Um, it, it was a, a full-on sprint for the length of a stadia, uh, which is, is about uh, 200 meters. Um, so, so Paul is saying, Following Jesus is like that. It's, it's a sprint. It's a, a full-on run. It's, it's something that demands all that you've got. That's what following Jesus is like. And, and if we're going to compete in this race of, of faith and, and win, if we're going to do this thing right, we're going to need uh, some coaching, right? We're going to need someone to kind of come in and, and give us some strategies to know how, the, how to run the race so we don't fall face down in the middle of the track, right? So that's what Paul comes and does for us. He, he steps in and, and takes on that position of our coach, and he gives us four strategies um, to help us endure until the end, to help us finish this race of faith. So the, the first strategy is um, that he tells us to focus on the prize. So we'll, we'll pick up in, in verse 10. We're kind of catching Paul mid-thought here, um, but it should be clear enough for us what he's saying. So... Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So if, if we're going to compete in a, a competition, there's, there's two things we need to know before we, we start. The first is, what are we competing for? What's, what's our incentive uh, to win, right? That might kind of sound uh, selfish of us, but what's in it for us? Why are we running? Why are we competing? And second, what will it cost us to compete? Will it, what will it take us uh, to win this race? What will we need to do to train and, and prepare and sacrifice in order to get that prize? When it comes to the, the race of faith, Paul tells us both here. He says that the prize for winning the race of faith is to know Jesus and to experience the power of his resurrection. Right? That's, that's the prize this morning, to know Jesus and, and to become 
like Jesus. That's what we're running after. Right? And then he goes on to tell us the cost of the prize. He says that we must share in Jesus' sufferings and become like Jesus in his death. That by any means possible, we may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now that, that second part of the verse, it's probably not anybody's life verse, right? <laughs> right? You probably don't hear uh, people committing that much to memory. I, I share in Jesus' sufferings and want to share in his death too, right? But I, I think we understand that intrinsically, um, that, that if something is valuable to us, we're willing to sacrifice for it. If something is valuable, we're willing to sacrifice for it. And, and if you want to know what's valuable to you, all you have to ask is, where do I spend my time and my money, right? What do I focus uh, my attention on? What do I think about? What do I get worried about? Right? These are the things that, that are valuable to you. And the greater the value, um, the, the greater that you find uh, something to be of value, the more that you're willing to sacrifice for, Right? Right, if something is really valuable to you, you're willing to give more for it. So if Paul is telling us that the cost of knowing Jesus is to share in his sufferings and to become like him in his death, then how great is that price, right? How great is it to know Jesus and to become like Jesus, right? The cost is, is equal to the reward. Higher cost, higher reward. And so that's, that's why we run the race of faith. If there's no prize at the end of this uh, finish line, then, then all of our, our sufferings and our struggles and our trials are meaningless, right? They're meaningless. If there's no prize, then, then Paul says um, that we of all people should be pitied, right? Because we're living our whole life for that prize. We're casting everything aside and saying this is what matters to us. If that prize doesn't exist, we're fools. That's what Paul says. It should be pitied. But if there is a prize then all of our sufferings and our, our struggles are insignificant, right? In light of the glory that we're waiting for, it means nothing. It's just momentary. It's, it's insignificant. Right? That's, what, that's what Paul is telling us. And it's, it's so important that we get this this, this morning um, because without it, I, I think that anything else I would have to tell you would mean nothing, right? It, it wouldn't make sense for me to encourage you in a race where you don't value the prize at the end of it. Um, so let's, let's take a step back, and we're going to focus on, on the prize real quick. We're going we're gonna to focus on um, the prize by breaking it into two parts. The first is knowing Jesus, and the second is becoming like Jesus. So let's start with, with knowing Jesus. Um, every Christian has knowledge of Jesus. This is what he does for us. Um, he gives us knowledge of himself freely and, and graciously, he opens our eyes to see. He illumines us, right? He reveals himself to us. And I think we can all say um, that we've seen his, his power through creation, right? We've seen his sovereignty through history, through the testimony of other believers. We've seen his glory through worship. We've seen his peace through prayer, his joy through fellowship with other believers. We've seen his love through the gospel, We've seen his wisdom and knowledge through the scriptures, right? I can all say with confidence that we know Jesus. We know Jesus, right? But at the same time, I, I think that if we're really pressed, um, that we're all forced to say that we don't know Jesus as much as we would like to. Right? We know him, but we don't know him as much as we would like to. 
We, we have yet to grasp the height and the width and the depth and the length of who Jesus is. In, in the words of, of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul tells us um, that we only see Jesus um, like we would see him in, a, in a, a mirror dimly lit, right? We only see him in part, you know, but we wait for that day where perfection comes. That's, that's where we're at right now. See, as, as believers, we kind of live in this, this constant tension. On, on the one hand, Jesus has revealed enough of himself for us to be satisfied. We can rest in him. We can be confident in him. We can rejoice. And, and at the same time, he's revealed enough of himself for us to hunger for more, right? This knowledge he's given us has also given us an appetite for more. And, and this is an appetite that propels us forward to that day where we will one day see him face to face where we'll be fully and completely satisfied him and we'll hunger no longer, right? That's, that's the goal of our lives. That's what we're running for. You know, I, I kind of like to think of it like this, right? Um, imagine you're kind of outside in, in the early morning and you're jogging or walking or strolling or whatever you do, and um, it's cool and, and foggy and um, Josh Cass is still asleep because he hates to wake up in the mornings. <laughs> Um, not a morning guy, but uh, anyways, at the horizon, you, you kind of start to see light come up, right? You start to see the sky lighten up, and um, I, I think you can say with some assurance that you know the sun, right? You've experienced it, um, right? But at the same time, I, I don't think that you can say that you've known it fully, because the way for you to know the, fu- the sun fully is to stare straight into it, right? It needs to rise, and you need to look straight into it, and... Uh, that's not something I'm encouraging you guys to do, so don't leave here and uh, like have a life experience or something afterwards. But <laughs> um, anyways, that's, that's what it's like to know Jesus, right? And in our lives, we've seen his glory. We've seen flashes of his truth. We've, we've known him. And, and yet we're waiting for that day where we will gaze upon him fully and, and say, I know him, Right? So we're living in that, that tension. We're living in anticipation. But before that day, there's, there's one thing that, that needs to happen. Uh, there, there's one problem that we have, right? It, it's the same problem that we have um, when we try to look into the sun. We're not equipped for it, right? We need to be equipped to see Jesus we need to be equipped to see him face to face. And there's only one way that we can see him in his full glory. And that's if he makes us like himself. We need to be made like Jesus to see Jesus and to experience him fully. This is why Paul emphasizes that, that the prize to know Jesus and to experience is um, the, the prize is to know Jesus and to experience the power of his resurrection, right? These these things go hand in hand. This is why Paul says in verse 21 that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The, the plan of God is to create a, a new heavens and a new earth united under the rule and reign of Jesus, where sin and death and suffering and pain are put away forever, they're destroyed. And the only way for us to survive that destruction is if those things are put away in us, 
Those things, those former things have to be put away in us so that we can experience new creation as well. And by God's grace, we've started to experience this, right? This is a work that he's begun in us spiritually. This is, this is the work um, of being born again. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And yet we wait for that day where Jesus will complete this work. Well, he'll, he'll make that work consummated, right? Where we're fully spiritually and, and, and physically made new so that we can be in the presence of, of Jesus eternally. That's what the resurrection of the dead is. Being in Jesus' presence for eternity. Experience him, knowing him, worshiping him, being in his presence. That's, that's what it's all about. That's, that's the prize. So all these things kind of come together again in, in the new heavens and the new earth. And um, let me just read you kind of two passages from the book of Revelation. I, I think it really paints what I'm saying pretty clearly. So Revelation 21, uh, verses 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And then he goes on in Revelation 22 to say, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Is that our, our prize this morning? Is that what we're running after with our lives? Right? Because otherwise, all of our struggles and frustrations and, and trials and suffering, they, they mean nothing without this prize. So this is, this is our prize, to know Jesus and, and to become like Jesus. Second, the, the second strategy that Paul gives us to run the race is, is to press on with assurance. So let's pick up uh, where we left off in, in verse 12. Uh, Paul says here, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul starts out by saying, uh, Pay attention, that, that prize we've been talking about, we haven't taken hold of it yet. We need to press forward. We need to finish. We need to cross that, that finish line. And then he says something really interesting. Uh, he says in the Greek, to teleomai, I have not been completed. Um, I have not reached my end goal. Um, anyone here take philosophy 101 or like an intro philosophy class? Josh again. <laughs> okay, a couple of you guys. Um, well, the, the root word of to teleomai is, is telos. And it means end or, or goal. And let me repeat that again because you guys are going to hear me say that a lot. Um, <laughs> telos, it, it means end or, or goal. And there's this whole field of philosophy called teleology, and it just means the study of, of telos, right? Um, so before Paul's time, there was, there was this philosopher, Aristotle, and uh, he was a, a friend of, of Plato, and um, he argued that, that the purpose of something is to move towards 
It's telos. Uh, the purpose of something is to move towards its end or its, its goal. So he said the purpose of an acorn is to become an oak tree. That's its telos. Uh, he said the, the purpose of a boy is to become a man. That's his telos. And we, we just learned earlier that the purpose of a believer is to become like Christ, right? That's, that's our end. That's our telos. So question, uh, what is our telos apart from Christ? Right? What is our, our end apart from Christ? It's, it's destruction, yeah, it is. Paul tells us in verses 18 to 19, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end, their, their telos, Paul says, is destruction. But how do you change someone's telos, Right? That's, that's the problem. We need to change our, our telos. We need to change our end, our, our goal. Um, to change someone's telos, you have to change their, their nature, right? Acorns always become oak trees if you give them enough time and enough water. <laughs> um, boys always become men. Yeah, dudes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, yeah, boys always become men, or at least they're supposed to. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> The only exception to this rule is if you were somehow able to change the, the nature of something, right? To change its nature is, is to change its telos. And in the same way, um, God uh, must change our nature in order to change our, our telos so that our, our telos is no longer destruction uh, but to become like Christ. And that's what God does. He, he changes our nature by causing us to be born again. John 1.13 says that we are children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. So no longer are we uh, children of wrath, using the, the language of Ephesians. No longer um, do we bear that image, but we're children of God, so we begin to bear his image. No longer is our telos uh, destruction, but to become like Christ. Can we ever lose our, our telos in Christ? Can that ever be taken from us? No, right? We just sing about that this morning. That's what Ming read through Romans 8. It can't be taken away from us. Everyone who is born of Christ always becomes like Christ, right? That's, that's what Christians do. We become like Christ because it's now in our nature to become like Christ. God has made us new and now we reflect him in, in all that we do. We are children of his. Right? In the same way that kids reflect their parents, right? that's, that's what we do. It's our nature now. I, I think as we start to consider this race of faith, that this should give us really the, the greatest assurance and, and confidence as, as we run, right? This is, this is why Paul says earlier in Philippians, I am sure of this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, the one who who caused you to be born again, the one who regenerated you, will bring you to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? He's the one who preserves us. This is why in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he will sustain you to the end. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So kind of bringing it back to the top, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Did you guys catch that? Paul tells us to press on in the race because of our assurance, right? Because Christ Jesus has caused us to be born again, because Christ Jesus has made us children of God, because Christ Jesus has given us a new telos and a new purpose and a new nature, that's, that's why we run the race. That's why we press on to make it all our own. We don't run this, this race in, in fear. We don't run this race with, with uncertainty, at least with constant uncertainty. Our lives cannot be marked by uncertainty. We don't run the race to, to earn anything. We run the race because we are confident that Jesus has given us victory. We run the race because um, we are confident that Jesus will keep us in faith. He will preserve us, right? So now we just press on to make it our own, and, and even that, he gives us the power to do, right? It's all grace. Everything is in response to the grace of Jesus. So in the words of, of Peter, he says, we by God's power are being guarded, right? So it's, it's the power of God guarding us. How? Through faith. That's how he guards us. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so we run this race. We press forward with, with assurance. Third, Paul tells us, run the race of faith by, by forgetting what lies behind and, and straining to what lies ahead. Picking up in a, a verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and, and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward God, or of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has already uh, told us in verse 12 that, that he hasn't obtained the prize. And then he says after that that he hasn't um, become perfect or been made perfect. And then again, just one verse later, he kind of repeats himself and says, I do not consider that I've made it my own. So we kind of see this repetition. And I think Paul's trying to uh, get a point across. He's trying to say, um, don't veer off course. Don't even run backwards. Some of us are running backwards. Don't forget that we're competing. Look to the prize. Get your feet on the ground. Get your eyes on the goal. That's, that's what he's saying. And then he continues, forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal. Press on toward the finish line for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the, the worst thing a, a runner can do is look behind them as they're running, right? I mean, my little brother's missing some front teeth because he did that. He ran into a, a pole. Um, <laughs> right? You don't look behind yourself when you're running forward. You don't drive uh, looking in your rearview mirror. It's, it's a dangerous thing, right? Um, but all of us have this tendency to do this spiritually. We have this tendency of trying to press forward, but being held up in the past. Some of us, um, some of you do this uh, with your accomplishments, right? Some of you kind of look back at what you've done in the faith. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Um, maybe you, you led a successful ministry. Maybe you experienced the power of God in a, in a radical way. Or maybe God used you so that other people would experience him in a radical way. And the temptation is to stop there, right? 
to kind of coast on those accomplishments, to, to sit back and, and enjoy the glory from that. And, and um, that's just not our calling. If, if anyone had the right to do this, it was Paul. At, at the time that he's writing Philippians, he's, he's already been a believer for 30 years, right? He's already written Bible, right? He's written, you know, most of the New Testament. Um, he's already almost single-handedly spread the gospel to the Roman Empire, right? And what does he say? He says, I press on. And he's calling us to, to join in uh, with him and, and to press on together. So now, Paul's not telling us to forget our past. He's, he's not saying never, uh, never remember anything that's happened to you in the past. That's, that's not what he's saying. Um, but he is saying that we can't live in our past. We can't live in it. That's the difference. And the easiest way to know if you're living in the past is, is um, you know, through your accomplishments is to ask yourself, are my glory days behind me or my glory days in front of me? Because for every Christian, our glory days are always in front of us, right? We are eagerly waiting. We are eagerly anticipating for the glory of God. They're always ahead of us. They're never behind us. So, so we're waiting, waiting for that glory. And um, others of you are, are kind of living in your past through sins and, and failures. Maybe, maybe it's not sins and failures you've committed. Maybe it's sins and, and failures that other people have committed against you and, and you found yourself unwilling to forgive or feeling like you are unable to give. Maybe you can't let things go or maybe you're unwilling to reconcile. Right? You're not allowing the gospel to impact your life. You're not allowing God to redeem your past. And the easiest way to know if you're kind of living in the past you know, in past uh, failures and, and sins, is to ask yourself, can I talk about it with joy? Right? Can I talk about my past with joy? Even my past sins and failures and the ones done against me, can I talk about it with joy? Because joy comes from looking at experiences through redemption. Yes. Yes. Comes at looking at experiences through rege- redemption. Joy comes from knowing that in spite of our brokenness, which, which we're not trying to overlook, in spite of the brokenness of others, which, which we're not trying to overlook, but in spite of those things, God is working everything together for good, for our good and for his glory, right? That is what we're moving towards. So Paul says all of our accomplishments and, and all of our failures, leave those behind, leave those at the door, press forward. And then he says strain forward to what lies ahead. The, the, the Greek here literally means to kind of sprawl yourself out, to stretch yourself out, you know, to pull yourself forward. He's saying, don't look back, throw yourself forward. You know, kind of coming back to the uh, Olympic imagery, I was, I was um, watching, you know, the Olympics and seeing Facebook trends and, and all these things, and um, as I was preparing for this message, I, I saw a really cool story that I feel like really illustrates this idea of, of stretching uh, yourself out, sp- going forward. Um, so in the, in the women's 400 meter, there was this Bahamian woman. She's right there um, diving. Her, her name is Shawnee Miller. And uh, she was in the spotlight because she was running neck and neck with the American competitor, Allison Felix. You know, it wasn't sure who, they weren't sure who was going to win, but what she did was she actually dove at the very end of the finish line. She threw herself forward like that, and she beat her competitor by .07 seconds, seven hundredths of a second. 
That's all it takes, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, throw yourself toward Jesus. Be like Shawnee Miller. Do that, right? That's what he's telling us to do. Um, right? So, so press forward. Leave, leave those things in the past behind. And, and last, I'll, I'll keep this one short. Um, Paul tells us to run the race of faith in community. So picking back up with uh, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, here's where things kind of get really interesting in, in the Greek. You guys remember that, that word telos I, I said over and over again? Probably hard to forget. Um, you know that t- okay, so telos, you know, that word that means end or goal. Paul uses it again here in, in this verse. And he says, let those of us who are mature, teleoi, think this way. So Paul's kind of playing with words here. He's saying, I haven't been made complete to teleomai, but I am mature, teleoi. So he's, he's trying to get us to ask, how can you be um, mature but incomplete, right? He's kind of getting us to ask that question. And the answer is humility. It's humility. Christian maturity is like wisdom. It begins with humility. It begins when you realize that you don't have it. <laughs> right? If you think that you're wise, or you think you're mature, you're probably already on the wrong footing. So, um, so it begins when you don't have it, and then you begin to look outside towards yourself. You look to Christ to attain it. And then Paul goes on to say, brothers, join in imitating me. As someone who is mature, as someone who hasn't made it, keep your eyes, and, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Other people who are walking like us, follow them too. So Paul is kind of painting this, this picture for us of, of Christian leadership. And he's telling us that a, that a Christian leader is someone who is a living, breathing example for others. A, a Christian leader is not someone who knows Greek. It doesn't matter if you know telos or teleology or any of those things. It's, it's not how many books you've read, right? It's not how many theological terms you know. Um, it, it's someone who is running the race of faith before others. Someone who's saying, I, I haven't made it yet, but I'm pressing on, right? That's, that's what Christian maturity is. It's living it out before other people. You know, that's, that's Christian leadership. And I, I think when we understand this, we, we start to understand the essence of, of Christian discipleship. Because we should all be modeling for each other what it looks like to run the race of faith, Right? When we disciple others, we're saying, I haven't made it to the end yet, right? but I, I might have gone a little bit further than, than you. I'll show you what I know. Let's, let's do this together. Follow me. Right? And when we're being um, disciple, we're saying, I, I want to press on. I, I don't know how I'm going to follow you. Um, let's, let's do this together. Right? And so as, as a church, God is constantly giving us opportunity to do, to do both. He's asking us constantly to disciple and to be disciple. So I encourage you guys to look out you know, for those opportunities in your life. This is why our, our mission at Infusion Church is, is to glorify God by leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family, right? Our mission is this. We're running the race. Come run with us. Let's learn from each other, right? That's our mission. Let's, let's join in together and run, 
That's our, our mission as a church. So as, as we wrap up, let me just say that I, I don't know exactly where you're at in the race, right? We're probably all over the place. Some of us might have just started and we have a lot of energy and we're pressing forward and you know, praise God for that. That's awesome. Some of us have maybe been pushing for a while and we're starting to feel tired and, and, and lose our way. Maybe some of us have a second wind or maybe some of us see that finish line right in front of us. Right? Or maybe, maybe you're not running the race at all. Right? But I encourage you to run and, and to press on this morning, right? It's hard, but it's, it's worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. Jesus is worth it, right? That's our prize, to know Jesus, right? To know Jesus in his glory, to know Jesus in his wisdom, to know Jesus in his grace and love and truth and peace, right? And then to become like him, to be made new, right? to be a part of the new creation and to be eternally in his presence. That's, that's our prize. That's what we're running for. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you. Um, Lord, we thank you that you first and foremost ran this, this uh, race of faith for us, that your son came and, and he ran perfectly. He ran perfectly. All of the temptations in the world, all of the desires, all of the things seeking to pull him away, he resisted that. He went against the current. He earned the prize. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you sent your son to earn the prize. And then we thank you that by your, by your grace, you call us into that. You, you make us new. You make us a part of a new creation. You give us a new purpose, a new end, a new goal. Lord, and by that gift, we get to experience in the victory that you have already won, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, as, as we find ourselves on, on different parts of the race, Lord, I just pray that you would give us what we need, Lord. Maybe we need to, to hear the truth again. Maybe we need to be encouraged. Maybe we need to hear the truth for the first time, Lord. I, I don't know what it is, right? Maybe we need other brothers and sisters to run alongside us. Maybe we need to disciple and be discipled. Whatever it, it is, Lord, I pray that you would provide those things for us, that you would help us to run the race of faith, that you would help us to push forward, God. We pray that we would be at that finish line like Shawnee Miller, Lord, diving towards the prize, Lord, that we would complete it and that you would say, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord. That's, that's what this is all about. And we ask that you would help. Lord, as, as we begin to reflect on this message, I just pray that you would begin to speak to our heart. Lord, we just pray these things in, in your name.